Well, I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. And as I mentioned before, I, I have to confess that I had to send to my mom this morning early on an apology text message for all of those things that I'm embarrassed by uh, as, a, as she strove to raise me as a kid. In fact, uh, some of you, as we talk this morning about parenting a little bit, we're going to focus in on the reality, and, and I don't even need to say this, do I, that none of you had the perfect parent. Some of you weren't ready to raise your hand. I uh, hope they're not in the room. None of you had the perfect parent. And none of you are the perfect parent. Can we agree to that? In fact, uh, when, I, when they were younger, one of my daughters uh, gave me a parenting report card. And I, I don't remember exactly what the grades were that I got, but what I do remember very specifically is that there was room for improvement. <laughs> you know, that's the way she, she and I agreed on that. So we'll say that. Uh, one of my favorite stories to tell is that uh, when we lived in Southern California, uh, we, when we had visitors that came to visit us, we had this favorite restaurant that we'd love to take them to. It was called Martha Green's. And maybe some of you have heard of this place. She's kind of a celebrity chef that the restaurant was named after that was in our community. And uh, I had never met Martha before until uh, one time that we were eating there with some friends from Ohio that were from out of town that were visiting with us. And we had a wonderful lunch together. And afterwards, Martha came from in the kitchen and she came and sat at our table and she just looked at Allie and I and she said, you know, you guys are incredible parents. You guys have done such a good job with these girls. We're so impressed. And she just went on. And I'll just be honest, my head just started to blow up just a little bit. Like Allie and I are kind of, kind of glowing. You guys like, I can't believe he's telling this story, but just, just listen to what ended up happening. So, so then she goes on to say that a couple of weeks prior, there was a family, and she pointed at the, the booth that they sat at, that there was a family here, and she goes on to describe how much of a debacle it was. She said it was a total mess. They ended up, all these things, and I'm not kidding. She was talking about us. That we had, we had sat in that booth. That was the Brennan family that she was talking about. So, so you talk about, you know, my head swelling and then popping right there, you know? And so we, we think God's got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? But, but we recognize that Allie and I know for sure. And if you need to ask my three daughters, they'll tell you that we are by no means claiming to be the perfect parents, nor did we have the perfect parents. And this morning, as we study God's word together, we're going to look at a story of an individual that represents and helps us to understand some principles about parenting, but this isn't just for parents this morning. It's not just for moms. It's not just for dads, but it's for those of us who've had parents, who have parents, and especially for those of us who don't have the perfect family life. In fact, when we talk about parenting in general, we can just be honest with ourselves. It's complicated, right? The relationship between a parent and their kids are complicated. I don't know which one of these people in this picture you can relate to the most, right? Uh, are you the sibling that's watching the chaos happen? Are you the parent that got dressed for the family photo and expected something very different? Uh, I hear the kid's okay, in case those of you who are, it's sand. You, you, you know, they bounce up, right? But, uh, you, you know, when we, when we talk about this, this truth, this morning that there was really only one perfect parent and they don't live in your house, right? Uh, the God of the universe understands his children. But for each one of us today, we're going to focus in on what it means for us to have been lost and been found, to understand some principles that help us to understand how to grandparent, care for our kids, but also to be a person who comes under the authority of others who love us and care for us. So this morning, I recommend to you this simple truth that you have not had, nor are you the perfect parent. 
But I love the fact that the wisest man that ever walked the earth, Solomon, he penned some words that give us incredible parenting advice when he said this truth. He said this to his son. He said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So he will make your paths straight. You know what I love about that passage is that I love the fact that this is a parent who's not saying, trust me, I got this. Trust me, I'm gonna figure this out for you. I'm gonna solve the problems that you have ahead. Instead, what he's saying is, I know the God of the universe that understands your needs more than what you do. He is a God who knows your past. He's a God that was not confused or deceived by your past. He knows your present and he also knows your future. And there's a part of that that gives me great encouragement when we want understand the heart of a parent that really wants to help their kid it's not the heart of a parent that says, I'm going to go ahead of you and fix all of the paths that are ahead of you to make them straight. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. As a, as a child of God, one of the things that I understand that God has not done for me is that he has not gone before me with the asphalt thing and cleared out the road and given me a perfect path to walk every day of my life on. Is that correct? But instead, what he's chosen to do is he's chosen to, with, with the ability to co-labor with him, go through the challenges of life, the paths that have potholes and challenges and thorns and struggles. He's allowed me to come alongside of him and to trust him. And so what we can do together is to make it through whatever life throws at us. The parent who understands that truth as we dedicate these little lives to the Lord, the parent that understands that truth, understands what it means to not be the perfect parent, but to entrust our children into the care of the God that knows our needs more than what we do. Isn't that great? So yeah, we didn't grow up in the perfect family. That relationships are with our family are probably some of the most complex relationships that we have in our life. But what's helpful for me to remember, second point this morning, is that the parental control idea, the idea that I can control my children or that my parents can control me, let's just be honest, that's a myth, right? Like you can't control another person's heart. It's not how it works. But I would also suggest to you this morning that parental influence is essential. So a parent has, does not have the ability to control a child's heart no more than God's loving kindness keeps you and I from rebelling against him sometimes. But you know what I know about my God is that his love stays consistent. And so if we run from him, he's still there. And we're going to look at a story of that in God's word, a powerful example, one that you know of as the prodigal son. And there's characters in this story, kind of like that picture that I showed you earlier, that you might look at this from the perspective of the father. You might look at it from the perspective of the person who's run away from his heavenly father. But I want to encourage you this morning. God's always in the restoration business. Isn't that great? That he's always looking towards restoration. And the way that a parent influences their child is, I love this, this graphic image behind me, that it's, it's not necessarily telling them, you've heard this, that you can't, take a, you can't make a horse drink. Have you heard this before? But you can, you can take them to the place where they drink, right? You can lead them to the well, right? And in this case, what I love about this image is it's, it's a parent sitting beside a child and saying, this is how we do it, right? This is how it works. 
And this morning, as we look at God's word, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. What an incredible story. Luke chapter 15, a story that's going to speak to us on multiple layers. One, for those of us who are parents, here's some incredible advice as to how you can strive to love a child that doesn't always follow in the path that you'd want for them to go. But also included in this is an understanding of what it means for us to have a God who's gracious, that knows our needs more than what we do, is patient with us in that comes alongside of us. And you know what I love about the context of this passage is it's, it's lost and found things. A coin that was lost in a celebration. A sheep that's lost and is found. And here what we see is the God that I serve. The God that I know. The God that knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. That he not only knows you when you rebel from him, but he wants you to come back home. And so as we look at the context of Luke chapter 15, uh, we pick up in verse 11, this idea of God being a God who knows how to find what's lost. Verse 11, it says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. When you read this, you kind of pause here because of the fact that that's incredibly awkward and it doesn't seem right because what the kid is asking for is his father's inheritance. And we recognize that inheritances usually come after a person's dead, right? So what this son is saying to his father is, I think my life would be better if you were dead. I think my life would be better if you were no longer a part of my life. It's devastating, isn't it? And some of you read this and you go, if that was my kid, you know what I'd tell them? Or you know what I'd do? You know how I'd respond? But what's beautiful is we get this glimpse of the grace of God. So the son says it to his father. I wish you were dead. Even while he's living, he spits in his father's face. And yet his response is incredible. It says, so it says that, and he and he divided his property between his sons. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property on reckless living. I, I, when I read this, you just, you look at the younger son, and he, he had a plan. I'm going to get my dad's money. I'm going to go live, and I'm going to enjoy life. But what he wasn't accounting for, his plan fell short when what happened in the, the community was a famine arose. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. I'll just remind you, this is subtle in the text, but that is when we ignore wisdom, we harvest pain. <laughs> when we ignore wisdom, we harvest pain. And that's exactly what happens to this, this young man who'd said to his father, I wish you're dead who spent his money quickly. It didn't quite add up to his needs. And then you get this tragic story in the Jewish culture that this would have been spoken to. The introduction of a pig would have been appalling. It would have been despicable. It would have been gross. Verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to fig peeds, feed, feed pigs. He's at the the bottom of the barrel. He's hit rock bottom, verse 16, and he's sitting there, and as he's feeding the pigs, have you, have you been around a pig farm before? Some of us know them in Ohio. Some of you have smelled them before. Uh, it's a memorable thing to be around, and you guys understand what pigs eat, right? It's, it's not exactly like he's looking at a cheeseburger here when it describes the pods to the pigs. It's, it's garbage, and it says in the text that he's looking at the slop 
for the pigs and he's, he's hungry. Some of you complain about your salaries. Look, he, he, he's working and he's not even able to be fed with the wages that he's earning. And he's, it says he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He's, he's at the end of his rope. He's, he's emptied out. He's, he's done. And then this, this thing happens. And I pray that for any of us in this room that are running away from our spiritual heavenly father, that, that this thing that happens is so significant. He humbles himself and he has this thought go across his mind. What if I just came home? What if I just went back? What if I went back not to be a son, but to just be a servant? I love this text. It says, and he rose and he came to his father. And there's just this tension in the text. What's dad going to do? He looked you in the eye and he said, he wishes that you're dead. Now, just to remind you, just, just to, when we talk about grace, it's important for us to remember that term grace means undeserved blessing, Right? That means undeserved gift. And here, what, what's the son deserve from his father? I think that he deserves punishment, penalty, pain. But instead, what the father chooses to do is to give him grace. And it says this, it's so beautiful in the end of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he inside felt compassion. He ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Later on, the description is that the father is going to declare publicly to his other son, what has been lost has been found. Isn't that great? And so what we see is this beautiful recognition of a father that offers grace that's undeserved. And I'll, and I'll just remind you this morning, when we talk about the role of parents, that parents, hey, no matter what anybody says, parents are still the greatest influence in the life of a child. And some of you think about that and you go, I, I don't know about my parents. Have they influenced me? Hey, I guarantee you, your parents have influenced you in your life, some for good, some for bad. But in that process, one of the things that we recognize is that influence of a parent, and like I said this picture earlier, that influence of a parent can be incredible. And, and I'll just gently remind you, for those of you who want your kids to turn out great, we talk about dedicating. Uh, you don't need to do PowerPoint-infused sermons at, dinner at the dinner table. In fact, I'd recommend that it probably doesn't work out too well if you have those sermonettes at the dining table. In fact, my father taught me more about prayer in my life than any other person in the world. And you know the way that he taught me how to pray? was that I'd walk into his and my mom's bedroom and he'd be on his knees beside his bed and he'd just be praying to the God of the universe. He'd be crying out to him for his sons and, and caring for them. And so my dad gave me a PhD in prayer, not because of the sermon that he gave me at dinner time, but instead because he chose to model for me what it means to be a person of prayer. You guys understand that values are caught, Right? We understand that, right? And that's really hard. Let's just also be honest. Because it would be a lot easier if the things that we want to teach our kids, they just latch onto it and they say, yeah, that's it. And then the things that we don't want them to learn... Uh, that they would ignore it. I love the story. You guys remember the Christmas story uh, that was set in Cleveland? You guys know what I'm talking about the, with Ralphie and his 
mom and the, the many stories. You guys, you guys remember this. Uh, uh, Ralphie had been caught and he used a word at school that he wasn't supposed to use and he ended up getting his mouth washed out with soap. Uh, anybody relate to that? No, I got that a couple of times. I can tell you that taste right now. It's very distinctive and I didn't go blind, which is good, right? So, so Ralphie gets his mouth washed out with soap and then his mom says to him, you guys remember this, he, they, she's always talking about the little pictures, the ones that are in the room listening to what's being said. And his mom says this, all right, now, are you ready to tell me where you heard that word? She's implying that despicable word. And Ralphie narrating as an adult says, now I had heard that word at least 10 times a day from my old man. He worked in profanity the way that other artists might work in oils or clay. Um, it was his true medium and he was a master, you know? Uh, so, so at times, um, Allie and I have stood back and we, especially when our girls are younger, we're like, where did they hear that? Or how did they learn to speak that way? And then we just pause. And it's kind of like at that restaurant that day where we kind of look at each other and we go, oh my goodness, they've just heard us do it, right? They're just imitating what they've seen in our home. And I think that it's important for us to understand that we have the incredible power of influence, but we also have to recognize that our words are so much more important, are less important than our actions. So in Philippians 3.17, the Apostle Paul says this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. That's, that's really what Parenting 101 really is about, is modeling this truth that we hold dear. But Jesus criticized the Pharisees that he, he said that they were masters at bundling up burdens and putting them on other people's backs that they themselves are not willing to bear. And, and we look at this and we, we recognize that that kind of parenting doesn't work very well. So a parent can speak until they're blue in the face about something that's valuable to them, but unless they're willing to model it and live it, or even, let's, let's even make this more personal. We've seen this before. Like if every time, and you guys know I was a, um, a youth pastor for a long time, worked with families in crisis for a significant amount of time. And There'd be times when a parent would be in direct conflict with their child and they come meet with me in my office and part of the, the tone was, hey, Pastor Brennan, you fix them, right? <laughs> I can't fix them. I can't fix, my, I can't fix myself, let's be honest. But there's, there's a part of that that they're asking me to do something. And in that process, I can, I can just remember specific times in those challenging times where I'd hear a parent say something like, God's word says that a child has to submit to their parents or to obey their parents. And I often thought, if, have you read the text? Do you, do you understand? So whenever we claim that kind of authority, it's so important for us to recognize what God's word's really saying. Look at this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This, this is a, I want to pause here for a second. A healthy parent is not afraid to tell a child when what they're doing is wrong. And the example for me, it's an obvious one, but it's when you've burned your hand by touching the hot stove, you know, when you've, you've experienced that, it's really natural for you to say, hey, don't touch that because you're going to hurt yourself, Right. And it's okay for us to say, hey, I've been down that journey. I've, I've tasted that slop. I've experienced that before. And I'll just be honest with you. It doesn't satisfy. It, it doesn't feed you. you. You can learn from my mistakes. So it's appropriate to have truth in the process of loving. 
But but look what this text goes on to say then. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that's what's right, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. I've said this before, that anytime I've taken my heavenly father at his word, I've been blessed in my life. I hope that's the case for a child that's following a believing parent. But verse four, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'll just tell you one way that is a surefire way to make your children angry is to put burdens on their backs that you yourself aren't willing to bear. So, so parenting isn't a quick, easy PowerPoint presentation at dinner time, but instead it's a, a commitment to living a life of integrity that's worth modeling, that that you're able to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, we've already said there's no perfect parent. I'll get you off the hook there. But even in that process, I'll tell you, one of the most powerful things that my parents have done to me is that they've allowed me to have times where they've apologized or they've said, hey, we didn't get this right. One of the most influential times that I have with my daughters is for me to sit with them and to say, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I hurt you. I should have listened before I spoke. I should have cared for you differently. So a healthy parent is a parent that understands what it means to not provoke their children. And I've had to learn that, that I don't always fix things. I I don't always try to prepare the path ahead for them. But instead, what I try to do is to equip them and to strengthen them and to encourage them to have the capacity to handle whatever life throws at them. Best way to do that is if they have a relationship with the Lord, right? The best way that they do that is that they understand what it means to put their trust in the Lord. I got to say this about my God and when it comes to truth and love is that I'm so glad that he doesn't lightning bolt us when we screw up. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that he's gracious. I'm so glad though at the same time, God's word tells us that he disciplines those whom he loves. And I think I've had some great coaches in my life that have come beside me. And they say, you keep doing that, you're going to keep losing. You keep on that. It's not going to work for you. You don't have to stay in that path. And so the Lord disciplines us. But the reality is, is that he does it in a, in a combination that if you get this combination in your life, it's going to bless every relationship in your life, your marriages, your friendships, your any kind of relationship, parent, daughter, child, all of them are impacted by the combination of two words, truth and love. I think all healthy relationships, third point this morning, is all healthy relationships. Everyone is dependent on the intersection between truth and love. This is an incredible combination. Even Ephesians 4, 15 talks about this blessing. Rather, speaking the truth in love, or we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ Jesus. Truth and love, that intersection is incredible. Now, why are those two so significant? Warren Wearsby puts it this way, and I think he's spot on. He says, truth without love is brutality. You understand? It's, it's painful. It hurts. But then he goes on to say, but love without truth is hypocrisy. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. We need the combination of those two. So back to my illustration of the pot that has the potential of causing great pain. To ignore the reality of that would be hurtful or unkind. 
but to also understand that at the foundation, the goal is not to cause pain, but instead it's to communicate loving kindness in that process. It's interesting. A Russian proverb says this, it's better to be slapped with the truth than to be kissed with a lie. I think that one of the things that relationships have taught us, God has taught us through his word, is that truth and love, the two of them are a necessary combination. I'll just remind you that a loving, grace-filled parent is able to say these, these few statements that are really important. The first one, this has been a, a, a commitment for me as a parent. I think this is what God says to each and every one of us that knows him personally. He says, regardless of what you do, I will always love you. The story of the prodigal son is this reminder. The father never stopped loving his son. He shows it in his example as he throws the party as his son comes home. That this is, this is something that is worth memorizing. I'll just remind you, I don't have a slide for this, but Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us that why, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I keep saying that God's not deceived by us. And I think that that's one of the things that, that some of us in this room have kind of lived our life with is, is we fooled our parents. We fooled people around us. We've thought that we've, we've gotten by on that process of deceit, but God's aware of us perfectly and he continues to love us anyways. I love this truth of Romans 8, 38. It says, for I am sure that neither death, just listen to this, it's so good, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're secure in him. He knows you and he loves you. And so regardless of what a person does, the response back to them is that I will always love you. But I think it's important when we talk about truth and love to understand that it's appropriate at times to be able to say, I love you too much to not warn you if what you're doing is wrong. I think that that's a part of the challenge of life. Is It's not that we turn a blind eye to the stove-touching experience. It's not that we ignore this, but instead what we do is that we're people who make sure that we're doing it in love. In 2 Timothy 2.25 I love this phrase. It talks about a person who's run from God and says, God may perhaps, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The picture there is, is of a fish in a net that's trapped and you can say, hopefully they can escape so that they're not torn apart. Their lives aren't ruined. They're not destroyed. And I'll just say, I thank the Lord that he's done that for me, that he's loved me enough to speak truth to me, to give me his word, to not allow me to just follow in the pattern of this world. But there's also a reality that he's given me his word. That's a lamp unto my feet. That's a light unto my path, that I can trust him. And so as a parent, it doesn't mean that we ignore the decisions of our children, but, but, but probably a more accurate or more helpful way to do this is to say that a healthy parent is willing to say to their child, I want to be honest with you about my own experiences, my own failures, my own consequences. So, so when I talk about that pot on the stove that has the potential of hurting you, I can show you a scar from when I grabbed a hold of a pot that wasn't, so, you, you understand the dynamic there, right? 
And, and I, I emphasize that because I want to remind you this morning that there's a story, one of those parents that I, I was in a counseling situation with that she was open about the fact that she had struggled with alcohol abuse in her life. In fact, when she was a teenager, she had made some decisions that had lifelong implications in terms of suffering for her in her life. And she's in my office, she's weeping about her own pain, and she's watching her, her, her children who are now teenagers at the time, and she's saying, I'm afraid that I'm seeing them follow the same pattern that I went through in my own life. And I looked her in the eye and I said, have you told them about your struggle? She said, no. And as we talked about it, she said, I don't want to condone that behavior. I don't want to give them ideas. I don't want to feed. But, but I, I shared with her gently, one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give your kids in an appropriate way is for you to just be honest with them. Here's the decisions I made. Here's the consequences of it. And I, I love that story because when she went back and she talked with their kids about it, she assumed they didn't know. Actually, they did know a lot of those details, but it allowed her to be honest. Why do I take this so seriously? Because I'm afraid that you're going to recreate the same things that had a devastating impact on my life. Do you understand that that's truth in love, right? Do you understand that that being done well can be an incredible gift to a child that may be struggling with the same temptations, the same realities, the same struggles? I love you too much to not warn you if what you're doing is wrong. I'm willing to share with you my own failures, my own struggles. If you choose to do that with your family, I think you're giving them a gift. You take off pretense and you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Another way that I think the God of the universe parents me is that he loves me enough to allow me to deal with the natural consequences of my decisions. We talk a lot about discipline. I mentioned earlier that, that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. I think one of the best ways that God disciplines us is to not spare us from the natural consequences of the decisions that we've made. And I, I say that from a perspective of a person who looks at his own life. And there have been times when, when I've made decisions that, that I wrote checks that had to get cashed later on in my life. And, and a good parent doesn't always swoop in there and fix it or, like we said, pave that path for them. But instead allows them to deal with the consequences of it. One of, a, one of the books that Allie and I love, a parenting book, the the author, Michelle Anthony, she tells the story about her daughter who was a surfer and um, she had an old used surfboard and she, she really, really wanted a brand new custom-made surfboard. Um, the problem was she didn't have any money and uh, she found out while she was visiting the surf shop that they would be willing to build it for her um, on credit or uh, that they'd be able to consign for. So, so she didn't have to pay any money and she could order the surfboard. So she's totally signed up. She designed to this thing, custom made. Um, the only problem was she forgot to tell her parents and she had no meaningful way to pay for it. She didn't have a job. And so after the things ordered, and I believe after she even brought the thing home, her mom asked the obvious question, like, so how did you pay for it? And, and she said, well, I'm going to be paying for it. And, and what I love about the story is that what her mom chose not to do was to walk in, swipe the credit card, and solve all her problems. All right, new surfboard. Instead, what mom did was mom bought it, but then made her pay off that debt that she had. So she didn't get to use the surfboard until it was completely paid for. She had to get a job and the consequences of it. And, and at the end of the day, guess what happened? 
She learned the value of a surfboard, right? In fact, one of the quotes is like the girls, like the daughter's like, I don't even want it anymore, right? But, but you guys understand, like one of the things as a parent, if you're a kind parent and you understand the difference between just truth or just love, but if you mesh those two together in your relationship, what it can do is it can allow us to allow natural consequences to happen. You can allow that reality to strengthen a person to be able to be successful when you're long gone, right? To be successful when you're not there to swipe the credit card, to be successful when you're not there to fix everything. So let's circle back around as we conclude this morning's message that there's this powerful statement in Luke chapter 15 at the end of the story of the prodigal son. You know, you know the different characters that were a part of that story. The, the father that's long-suffering and gives grace that's undeserved. The, the brother that's watching from a distance and he's like, hey, I never ran away from you. I, I never said to you, I want you dead. I, and he's upset about the party that's being thrown. And there's a whole sermon in that. And it's an incredible teaching of understanding God's grace and understanding obedience. And, um, but at the end of the day, I just want to focus in on what, what the father says to his son. I love this, this artistic rendition with others watching what the father says to the son when they kill the fattened calf. They, they set the banquet table that was undeserved, that he goes from the slop to the pigs to the banquet table of his father whose resources are plentiful. And it says this in verse 31, it says this, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. This is to the older brother and all that is mine is yours. In verse 32, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and now he is found. You guys know that's the gospel, right? You guys understand that that's what Christ died for was so that those of us who are lost can be found. And so, so I pray for, for you. If you're wrestling with your own imperfect family dynamics and the reality of that, I just want to remind you today that God models for us perfect parenthood and his loving kindness and his truth and love. I also want to remind you, those of you who are like me, that you look at your own parenting, your own family, and you kind of admit, hey, I am not the perfect parent. Um, your family photos don't look quite like these guys. I love this picture. Isn't that great? I like almost like, oh, look, it's like they posed for this, right? Um, that uh, your family photos don't look like this. They look a little bit more like this. I love this picture. <laughs> they're at the happiest place on earth, too, right? Like you just, there's so much to love about that picture, but... You, you look at your own family, something I keep saying from the front, and I, I hope that that's, this is what I model in my own life, is you guys, we can get better. You know, we can, we can get better. The way that we are is not the way that it always has to be. And for some of us in this room, we, we, we knew, we, we grew up much more like this, right? Like that, that the family dynamics were complicated, not always easy, not always simple, but, but I want to remind you that God the Father, who knows you perfectly, understands you, and who wants you to live in the light of his truth and his love. And for those of you who are parents, that there's a part of all of this, of us standing back and us being able to say, I want to love my child like Christ has loved me. I want to love my spouse like Christ has loved me. I want to love my friends like Christ has loved me. I want to understand what it means to have relationships that are through the lens of the gospel. That's how we forgive. That's how we do relationships. That's how we understand how to do life together. So 
Our, our kids are watching us. They're following us. They, they understand that we didn't need to say this at all today, that the, the perfect parent thing is a myth. We get it, right? Uh, we have our own examples of that. But beyond that, I just want to remind you that God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. He knows your needs more than what you do. And he loves you so much that he's ready to adopt you as his son or his daughter. I, I close with this, the, the image of a Bible on the front of it that says son of the king or daughter of the king in the place where you write your name is what I, I pray for each one of us that we, we understand our identity through what our father is and what his love for us is. I think that's what it means for us to understand his grace. And I think when we talk about graceful parenting, that's how we ought to posture ourselves, understanding truth and love. And if we do that, I think that we're going to be doing just okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. And I thank you for, in a special way, for, for mothers. I, I'm grateful if she's tuning in right now that my mom would hear me um, thank her for her graciousness, her kindness, her long-suffering. And even as I sent the text message this morning of some of the things I I'm um, uh, sorry for, things I wish I hadn't done, those late nights, those, those challenges that I was as a, as a teenager, as a, as a child. I just thank you, Lord, that you are good. You know our needs. You love us. And I thank you that my mom and my dad modeled that for me. And this morning, as we talk about our own stories, I pray for that person that's been running away from you, maybe eating the slop to the pigs that's made it to a point where they they just have that, that little tickle in the back of their mind of the reminder that there's another way to live. Lord, I pray that they'd come back to the banquet of the loving God, that they'd return back home, that they'd recognize your provision and your abundance and your blessing. And then I pray for those that are in a position of authority and leadership that have the opportunity to welcome home. I pray that you'd teach them to love and to live graciously. We need you. We love you. Just thank you so much for the song we're about to sing, a declaration of peace and uh, a promise and, and an exhortation and affirmation of what it means to come under the care of a God who knows our needs. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.